at the time, I wasn't, I really didn't have the knowledge to go and buy another company, although I do have that knowledge now and it is a way of growth for us. If you've listened to this podcast now for a few episodes, pick up your phone, go to the ratings and review section, leave a rating, one star, five star, good feedback, bad feedback. I want to hear what you have to say on this podcast. And if you're not already a member, go on Facebook, join our Home Pro Sales and Marketing Lounge Facebook group. By the time we run this episode, we'll probably be over a thousand members. It's an awesome collaborative resource of other trades business owners and managers, all focused on the sales and marketing side of business. And of course, we do get into operations a bunch in there. Awesome Facebook group. Go join it now. Now, in this episode, I've got Alan Ferguson of Omega Home Services down in Australia, the land down under, joining me. We cover a lot of ground, but one of the big things we talk about is how you can add trades to your business, the process of picking up another trade. If you're a roofing company going into windows and doors, or maybe you're a power washing company and you want to get into handyman services, we talk about how he's done it in his business. So let's jump into this awesome conversation with Alan Ferguson. Alan Ferguson, man, welcome to the Home Pro Success Show. Thank you for having me, Corey. All right. Now, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners, well, where you're at. From your accent, we already may have picked up you're from the land down under in Australia, so we know physically where you're at. But tell us about where your business is and what you got going on, what you do, what you offer. Okay. So Omega Home Services is a plumbing, electrical, and HVAC, heating and cooling business based in Sydney, Australia. Now, as much as Omega is, it's 30 years old now, it's really a 15-year-old company because I changed direction back around 2004. I went from doing primarily plumbing for builders. I decided to um, Well, actually, no, the the transition started before that. I decided to get into residential maintenance. So roughly 10 years ago, we added electrical. And two, three years ago, we added heating and cooling, HVAC, currently employing about 80 staff. We're on track for, well, actually, this year, our annualised revenue will be close to 30 million. But we're currently about at 22 million annual revenues right now. So you're a pretty good size operation down there. For Sydney, it is one of the larger companies. In the US, I think we, you know, we're probably, you'd call us a small to mid-size because I work with some monsters in the US and uh, it's not unusual for companies, some of the bigger companies to be doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue a year. Yeah, absolutely. There are some big companies over here. Now, what what changed? You said, you know, it's a 30-year-old company, but we started new again 15 years ago. What was the big moment here? What was the big change? What happened 15 years ago? Yeah, it was basically one of those moments that, you know, I'd been working for 15 years, working very hard, working for builders, not making much money. I found that, you know, my business with, I think we had five to seven staff, was doing over revenues, let's say, of seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year, making next to no profit. Look, I was reasonably smart and I was buying some real estate, but just it all come crashing down on me in the late nineties when, you know, my debt got a little bit too high. I wasn't making enough money. I I lost considerable money in a couple of big jobs I was doing, like let's say fifteen percent of my yearly revenue did not come through. I got the shits with that. I decided to basically unload assets. I had some debt to clear and I made a very big commitment to come back into 
business, but in a different way. So in the early 2000s, I started looking at what successful companies are doing in the home services space. And I decided on home services because not that that's where the money is, but that's for me, was a safer alternative to uh, deal with uh, the Mars and Pars and just do uh, residential maintenance, uh, COD. And so we took on a business model, which I could say it's uh, how a majority of companies run in uh, the US. We took on the upfront pricing or transparent pricing or flat rate pricing business model and found we started to make money. And from that point, from 2004, we've had pretty good growth rate to the point, I think we, our business tends to double about every three years. That's strong. That's very strong. For the first 15 years, though, you were plumbing, right? Am I, am I hearing that correctly? That's right. And you were, you were working for the general contractors, you know, kind of getting suckered into their, you know, net a million payment terms. <laughs> you know, well, we'll pay you when we feel like paying you, if we can pay you after you, you know, put on this dog and pony show and jump through this hoop and fill out that paper and submit it between, you know, the full moon and the quarter moon on the fifth Friday of every month. Yeah. Sounds like you've done it. <laughs> Look, I would never speak badly about builders because some of my closest friends are builders and I'm actually in some uh, Facebook group with other builders, but it's just the nature of the beast, right? Yeah. You know, we've done, uh, we have done and we do do a little bit of work for builders. You know, I mean, we've obviously reached a point of scale where, we can handle, you know, obviously prolonged payment periods. We've got a, you know, an admin team that can go out there and worry about collecting and complying with whatever, you know, verbiage they put in the contract about payment and submit by this date to get paid on that date. You know, so we're a little bit, we're flexible there. And we've also got a quite large team. So we have to kind of, in order to keep everything very busy all the time at slow times, we have to take a lot of, or not a lot, but a few of these types of projects. So we are used to working with it. I don't like it. I don't advise it, you know, for most people until you get to a certain threshold where it's all about kind of feeding the machine and you just kind of have to keep putting stuff in there. And quite frankly, you know, dealing with the builders, it really doesn't bother me at all because I don't lose any sleep over it. I really don't even know much about the projects. You know, at that point, it's it's not such a big deal. But yeah, as you found, it's way easier, way, way easier and better and smoother, more cash flow working with residential clients. Yeah, no, that's right. But when I look at around me at all the successful home maintenance companies, plumbing, electrical, HV, most of us came from that building industry. So it's sort of grassroots, but I think it's a transition when you realize that, look, I know very successful contractors that make really good money from that space. So I have a you know, very successful family member who's built an electrical business contracting that does hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue and makes very good money out of it. But that's very rare in my opinion. And look, you know, some make it there, but for me, I couldn't. And I decided to change direction and look at what other, and I really love doing the general maintenance, you know, the tap servicing and the block drains and uh, replacing water heaters and, and air conditioning systems. And I just thought that was the way forward. And yeah, it just seems to, it seems to be natural for me. 
It's doing pretty well. Do you guys have any, uh, do you work or do or implement or use any type of maintenance programs, maintenance plans? The recurring revenue is what I'm kind of getting after here. Yeah. And I don't want to go too far off track here, Corey, but that's actually a subject that I really want to explore. We, When we transitioned into a service maintenance company, I started to to play with best practices groups. You know, I can talk about Nexstar Service Roundtable. There's quite a few. I've worked with Ellen Raw. She's got some groups and, and Al Levy. And I looked at service agreements really hard. And uh, we implemented a service agreement program basically when we transitioned to the flat rate pricing model. And uh, But I feel we're at a point now where, and we have several thousand agreement members I just don't think we're doing it right. And the point here, Corey, was Matt Jones from uh, Trady, the site shed, wants to do a podcast with me talking about service agreements. And I said, Matt, I don't know if I'm the right person to actually do this. I'd love to co do some, bring someone else on that really knows their shit in this area so we can blow it right open. So you guys have it, but you're just kind of, I don't know, you just feel like you're really not getting the most out of it. You're not getting, not seeing a positive ROI on it. Something along those lines. Okay. So just a brief breakdown of the service agreement. So we offer one year, a three year and a lifetime or no five year. It used to be lifetime plan. Now, is this only for customers that buy a new system or is this for anybody? This is for anybody. So we have structured our business so that the service agreement customer receives a 15% discount and they receive a a full inspection of their plumbing, electrical, heating and cooling system. We check drains and and everything. And I find that's a good way to get back in front of that customer. But look, if you ask me why do most of our loyal customers buy a service agreement from us, I think it's for the discounts. But I could be wrong. It might be that they love us so much, they just want to be part of our membership plan. But who goes out with friends talking about their plumbing membership plans? (laughs) Yeah, man, you're you're so right on that. You are so right on that. And the reason kind of why I go into it, I'm interested in hearing your experience is because so many, you know, business gurus from wherever like to sling this whole thing like, all right, you need to have recurring revenue. You need to set up a membership plan. But like from what you're saying there, they very rare or they they don't necessarily lead to you know a huge increase in revenue would you agree with me cuz i struggle i mean i i've kind of looked quite hard for this but i really haven't i i found if there's two companies i know of i'm not going to name them they are active in the group and they're very large home service companies and they're like you know i mean they they're like yeah man you know we use the service agreements and we get in there and we sell more we we do the service agreements at a loss but Overall, it's great. But most other people that I speak to kind of just say, hey, you know, we set it up and either A, nobody buys it. And that's because, you know, they don't really pull a valuable offer to the table or B, you know, they get a bunch of people on it, but it ultimately just kind of ends up as being a money drain because they're not maximizing the opportunity. They're not taking sales advantages out of it. And then it kind of dwindles off or they kind of, you know, they have it because they feel like they need it and everybody says that they need it. They don't like it. It's kind of a, I guess, a gray area of sorts, or maybe we'll call this a yellow murky area, you know? Gray is a hot, it's the worst color in the world, and I hate gray because it's either, for me, it's either black or it's white, and it is a gray area. I'd like to share, we've had some incredible results through, call it service agreement, we call the Omega Home Protection Plan. So 
I and and look, just because we've had one or two, actually, that's no, a lot more than one or two. We do pull good revenue, and I don't actually have numbers with me. And I'm happy if you if you need some numbers on that because I'm a massive believer in uh, in keeping track of everything. So, an example: we go to a loyal customer who's been using us for years. They love our our home protection plan because we do the once a year or twice a year or three times a year visit, depending on what they want. But we ring up Mrs. Jones, and her real name's not Mrs. Jones, and you're due for your inspection. We send out a highly trained technician, and he goes to Mrs. Jones, and he just checks over the operation of the taps and the the faucets, as you guys call them, and the drains. And he finds that when he's testing the faucet, that a drain is gurgling. And we all know what happens when a drain gurgles. It means that it's uh, potentially not draining correctly. So then we go and uh, check the drain. We go outside. We find a way to get our camera into the drain. We find that there is tree root intrusion in the drain. We give Mrs. Jones a proposal to repair the section of drain. When we repair one section of drain, it leads to another drain. She says, while you're at it, will you check all my drains? So we do that. And we've actually, from a having a technician sitting around at McDonald's eating muffins with no service calls to going to Mrs. Jones, we have pulled uh, nearly $90,000 from a free call. That's the revenue potential. Now, that's the best we've ever done, but I've got many, many jobs where I can I can share $10,000, $15,000, $30,000 in revenue. And this is stuff that really does need to be done. And it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time and presenting uh, repair options for Mrs. Jones. Does that help? Yeah, that does, man. That does. That sounds good. Might I ask, what are you guys charging for the monthly, or not monthly, the annual plan? How much is Miss Jones paying for it? Annual plan for us is approximately $130. Yeah, and that includes one inspection of either plumbing, electrical, air conditioning, if they want us to check over and do maintenance on. And then they also get a discount on the service at that? They get 15% discount. So we rate, we run two rates in our price books. It's regular So annual rate. maintenance plan gets you one annual inspection of XYZ, you know, and then you also get 15% off any services. Right on. So, and you guys have a few thousand people signed up to that. We have, so we sell, now I don't have numbers on this. I can, like I said, Corey, I can pull them. But we sell, a pro, we, our company does approximately, let's call it a thousand to 1200 service calls a month. I think it's a lot. Rate is between 30, let's call it 30% of those jobs we sell a home protection plan, a membership. That's 300, 400 per month. Renewal rate, that's an area that would probably, look, I want to learn this just like you do. The renewal rate is the area where we have got so much opportunity. And look, I look at, you know, we, we had our quarterly business planning session last Friday, and we talked about the revenue potential. And it came up that most people, don't treat their home with the respect that they should as far as maintenance goes. So most people own a a $20,000 motor vehicle and they'll take it to the mechanic every six months to get the the engine, the brakes checked, every 12 months, whatever. But they don't actually take their home seriously and maintain stuff. And, And look, that 
If that's not the next growth area for Omega, I don't know what is. We're projecting big things from, from this, and this is why I'm really serious about blowing the service agreement open, wide open at Omega. Sounds like you've Thanks done your homework on it. Me. I'm very well researched. <laughs> Let's shift gears a little bit here. You started out as plumbing. You were plumbing for the first 15 years. At what point did you decide it was time to expand? Well, how big were you? Or at what point did you decide it was time to expand into another, another trade that was electrical? How big were you at that point when you decided to expand? When we added electrical, it was roughly, I'm thinking 2009, it could have been around, so let's say 10 years ago, roughly four years into running service. So what I, because I'm always analyzing the numbers, I looked at, we do, our business does, back then we didn't do a lot of air conditioning. We'd look, if we'd, if we'd see a job, we'd refer it to a company. But we were giving a lot of dollars away to other electricians. So we, for example, with water heaters in Australia, half of them electric, half in the gas. So what we were doing is we'd win a relocation of a, of a, of a water heater and it was electrical work. So we were subcontracting a lot of that work out. So two things annoyed me with that, Corey, is we were giving considerable dollars to our competition and the other thing was they didn't have the same values that Omega had. They didn't value our time. So we were having scheduling issues. So I, I thought, F this. I'm going to add electrical division. And I can go into the detail exactly how we did it. But at the time, I'm guessing we were probably a $5 million business when we added electrical. But we were probably giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to the competition. I said, I'm going to have... Omega Electrical, but the name wasn't available. So I had to change the business name to Omega Services Plumbing and Electrical. That happens. That happens. Why don't you tell us more about how you did it though? So you know the opportunities there and you're subbing stuff out. And I can tell you, I really don't like subbing out stuff. I know the same challenges. The subcontractors don't take the job as seriously as you'd expect. Their scheduling delays and audit is just much easier when everybody on our team can just do it and do it to our standards as opposed to having to sort through and jump through the hoops of somebody else's kind of rigmarole. But at the same time, bringing in another trade, bringing another trade in-house isn't easy. No. You basically have to learn a whole other business at that point and then merge it into yours. Yeah, I've done a podcast on this subject, so there's quite a few ways you can do it. I'm just getting the old memory going. Now, the easiest way would be and look, no, I don't want to talk about the easiest way. If you have a local electrician that is tired of running his own business and, you know, so let's let's just, I'm targeting for you plumbers out there and it can go either way. You might be a, an electrician and you want to add plumbing. You could be HVAC and you want to add plumbing and electrical. So I'm looking at plumbers out there, you want to add electrician, electrical. So first thing you need to do is find out if there's someone out there with the correct electrical license that you need that's tired of working for himself and probably the easiest way or maybe one of the, the better ways is to actually entice him to come and work for you and you'll probably find if you were to look at his business and that this would my, might require you buying his small operation and you can do it without any money down and enticing him to come and work for you maybe he'll earn more money than he was and use his license to grow so there's that you can actually uh, you do need the license in electrical and 
I suppose I have to be careful here because in Australia, every state has different requirements and I'm sure that's the same in the US. So that to me makes sense. Or employ an electrician who's got the correct licenses and see if you're if he's willing to put his license on your master license and pay him a fee for that. Yep. Yeah. So that's basically how it works over here as far as licensing. You could go either way. Well, I mean, if you hired the or if you bought out essentially the electrician, he would basically just come on as an employee and then at least in Florida, qualify your company or as you call it, a master license. So is that how you did it? You went out and bought out a smaller electrician operation, maybe a one guy and a helper and a truck and had the license and pulled it in? No, I used the latter because at the time I wasn't, I really didn't have the knowledge to go and buy another company, although I do have that knowledge now and it is a way of growth for us. But no, I found an electrician who was really keen to come and work for Omega and put his license up. But he didn't last very long with Omega. So then we found someone else that's willing to do it. And so we've grown that way. So yeah. So brought on uh, brought on another, you know, qualified employee and all that. Day one, you're offering electrical services. What other kind of challenges did you have? I'm guessing that you had to now go out and hire some kind of, I guess, electrical apprentices or whatever you have before at your level over there of electrician before you're actually licensed or not licensed. You guys had to build up a whole division around that? Yeah. So it's probably no different for anyone that's started a business. You know, I suppose we all start from one staff, two staff, three staff. So you've really, for us, it was only, I was turning the clock back a few years and looked at how we grew our plumbing our plumbing division. You would grow your electrical division. But when you've got, you really do need that skill set. And we've got phenomenal electricians here at Omega and we've, we've always had great people. And yeah, we've grown that way. So it's all about the people, right? So you need to get make sure that the leader of the division, which is potentially the license holder, is actually the right person to help you grow your business. And, you know, we've grown to, I think, I don't have the exact number, but it's it's over 30 electricians here at Omega. So pretty big part of our business. But our electrical division is merged with our HVAC heating and cooling division. So we've got guys cross-trained between electrical, air conditioning, plumbing, air conditioning. So there's a lot of cross-pollination here. So when you first set up the electrical division or brought it in-house, you were relying on the new hire to basically train everybody underneath of him? That's right. That's right. And from there, how did you actually start selling the services? Well, let me kind of take a step back. Were you actually going to market the services you know, as a service, like, hey, call us for your electrical needs, or were you just going to use it as it was incidental to your plumbing work? So initially, we had enough work to keep an electrician and an apprentice going full time with no marketing. So we started to let our existing customers, you know, hey, Mrs. Jones, I use Mrs. Jones a lot. We now do electrical works or any other little things you need around the home. We're happy to help you. So after, like I said, initial the initial electrician and apprentice, we had enough. We're doing enough hot water heaters or water heaters to actually keep him going. So then we built a website and we started marketing it independently. So I think to market 
a plumbing business and marking an electrical business is very similar as a HVAC business. You just need to know what is it you're marketing and what is it you're doing. So you're definitely tapping into the knowledge base of the you know the the electrician or the plumber or the the air conditioning technician you bring in. But look, I had a lot of that knowledge anyway. So. The one good thing that I had with being in the building industry, I did electrical work. Well, I used electricians. I knew how to do electrical. I knew how to do air conditioning. I definitely knew how to do plumbing. So I had the knowledge. So my leadership was actually pivotal in actually growing that part of the business. And so my involvement was more on the sales and the service agreements and getting everyone that worked for me to be a marketer as well. So. Yeah. When you brought on the electrical side now, did you, you know, kind of actually start going out there and reaching out to your existing customer base? I mean, I guess this would have been 10 years ago. You know, it's not the same thing where you with Facebook ads and email marketing quite as it is now. What did you do to let your other customers know that you had this? Or I guess we could kind of even jump forward to when you added HVAC. Hey, you're offering HVAC services. What did you do? And how do you guys kind of tie that all in together today for a customer that comes in for plumbing services? Do you market HVAC and electrical services to them as well? Okay, that's Corey, good question. A lot of things you can do. So let's just keep in mind that now with with us doing the the plumbing, electrical, and heating and cooling, all of our marketing, our, our main website, Omega, Omega Services com.au has all of our services in there. So we're in front of roughly 1,200 customers a month and we will we let every customer know that we're in front of that, hey, you know, we've got, we've got heating and cooling, we've got electric, we've got plumbing, we've got drains, we've got, we've got hot water. We actually have been actively collecting email addresses from GitGo. So when I had a website, my first website around 2001, 2002, Got it early. We were very early to get into digital, web, having a website well before a lot of my friends in the US, oh, a couple of years maybe. And so we're using email. I can't remember the email programs we were using back then. We use Infusionsoft now, but we had email programs. So we're always, I'm always about communicating with our customers. We always send out direct mail, we do postcards. It's really important, and this, when it comes to marketing, which is, you know, one of my biggest passions, marketing is just so important. And do you mind if I share a real quick story? I've shared this on other podcasts, but it's really relevant when it comes to marketing. It's basics. No, man. Microphone is all yours. The microphone is all yours. Fantastic. Yeah. And you you just reach through the screen and grab it back at any time, right? (laughs) Quick slap on the side of the face, Alan. That'll do. So... Yeah, I love this story because it's so relevant to marketing. And uh, you know, let's let's just look at the basics here. So, one of our our family homes we built back in the nineties. We were in uh, the the bush, and everyone thinks, but you know, most Americans think that everyone lives in the bush here in Australia. It's not quite true. You guys all have kangaroos hopping through your yard and ab- aborigines down the river. That's it. And some and some places you go to have that. So yeah, that's not unusual. So we built a beautiful home and it was with a lot of trees around us. And and look, in Australia it's very green and it's and there's a lot of conservation rights and everything. So people protect the trees and I'm all for that. So we built this magnificent home and there's a lot of trees around us, hence termites. So we'd been in this home for a couple of years 
and we needed a termite guy just to make sure that the termites weren't munching away and all the timber work. So we found this guy. He came out and he was amazing. He did it. He did the absolute best job. He went and did all the inspection. He actually did find termites and he did his thing. And we were really impressed with this guy. And we said, look, how often should we check our place for termites? said every six months. I said, right, can you please remind me in six months' time to do another inspection? Because we don't, and he, you know, the fact that he found some termites, we didn't bring him in, we'd be in all sorts of trouble. So, and look, one thing, one important message from this guy was good and price was not an issue. He could have charged whatever he friggin' wanted and we would have paid it because he provided a phenomenal level of service. But what he didn't provide was a good follow-up. Six months later, I said to my wife, Rita, have you heard from the termite guy? She said, no. Why don't you give him a call? I said, yeah, sure. Give me his phone number. She said, don't you have it? I said, no. Well, it's easy. Let's just look him up. What was the name of his company? Don't you remember that? No, I have dementia. I didn't. I don't remember what I did friggin' yesterday, never mind six months ago. So we started looking online, whatever we did, Yellow Pages. We never found this guy. It was really, really disappointing because we had to call another guy and he was all right, but he wasn't as good. So the moral of the story here, if you've got hundreds of clients, thousands of clients, we've got 40, 50,000 client they're not really your clients they're only as good as the communication you keep and what's the point of saying well mrs jones is my client if you never keep in contact with her so brought up a really good topic and i think in marketing this is the basic shit that everyone really needs to grab a hold of never presume that someone's used you as they're, they're your client it's your job as the business owner or the marketer to be continually pestering them and just to remind them that you now do air conditioning or you now do electric or whatever. So a very important point. Sorry, uh, grab the microphone back off me now, Corey. <laughs> no, man, no, man. I, li I like what you're saying there. It's something I noticed, you know, over the last few years is particularly, I think since 2014, at least in my experience, attention spans just keep diminishing. So you have to keep bombarding people with high quality marketing messages. Otherwise, people forget. I mean, I can't think I know I probably commented on 100 Facebook posts today, but I couldn't tell you what one of them said at this point. I couldn't tell you what I looked at what I read an hour ago. People don't remember stuff unless you are constantly communicating to them or with them, hopefully communicating to them so they communicate with you in return. And if you're doing it right and doing it good, you'll get those responsive messages. So it's something I want to talk about in a couple minutes here, you know, and we'll go into kind of what you are sending out to them. But let's just kind of go with the pace of things here. So you get the electrical company set up, boom, you get that up and rolling. A few years later, it's time for the HVAC add-on, or I shouldn't say electrical company set up, you get that division. Now you're going to set up a HVAC division what kind of process did you follow? Did you go through and, you know, hire somebody or buy out the business again or, or not buy it out again? But did you buy out a business or hire somebody in again on that? Very similar. If we go back to how I added electrical, it was very similar. And I was really keen at the time. I had a broke to buy a small HVAC business. And I really wish I would have found one that was suitable. It would have saved me a ton of money. I think I've we've, we've torn up hundreds of thousands of dollars, not even millions of dollars in actually building our own. And we could have fast-tracked. We could have grown a lot quicker if I would have bought a company. So we've got, a bro we've got several brokers involved. We're looking for companies, all the companies that were out there that were for sale. And look, 
buying a business or, or trying to find someone is it's just basic. You know, you're, you're putting the feelers out, you're reaching out to people, you know, do you know anyone? So there wasn't, well, at the time, I couldn't find a company that I thought was right to bolt on to Omega. Most of the companies here in Sydney, not all, actually maybe all, I don't know, because I never really found one that was primarily focused on residential maintenance. Uh, most of them, the businesses that were up for sale or the ones that I found had a, was, was like 80 90% construction and I didn't want to go back there. So we found a qualified HVAC technician. We brought him in. We followed the same process. We utilised his licence. We followed the same process as we did with adding the electrical division. So having done that twice now, are there any big takeaways, any major lessons learned that you would kind of give anyone as advice saying, hey, you know, do this so that this happens because we learned this one the hard way? Yeah, I feel that our growth would have been a lot faster if we would have acquired a small established business, a couple of staff with some clients. So with the air conditioning business, we weren't selling a lot of air conditioning business. So we, before we actually brought on our first air conditioning team member, we had to build a website and we had to actually start playing with that. So we had to get the marketing ready to go when he came on board. But he still had to come on board and learn the Omega processes and just get the business ready. Because, you know, our business model, we have two types of technicians. We have the technician that's customer facing, interacting with the customer, potentially making replacement sales. And then we have the technicians that come in and do the work. So uh, it was very, very similar, Corey. Just I wish we would have found a company to buy. I I feel it would have saved a lot of uh, time and effort. Certainly, yeah, man. I can certainly see the value in that. I do know some other people that have kind of, you know, like you said, they're kind of bought out smaller operations, used it to pull in some knowledge, a little bit of infrastructure, a little customer base to kind of jumpstart it, you know, and get that whole thing off the ground. So uh, it's interesting to hear, you know, that A, it's worked out for you hiring someone in and B, that you would have rather almost or kind of wish you would have. I don't know if, if you would have rather, but you certainly wish you would have at least on one of those given it a shot in buying someone else out. Yeah. Anyway, like, you know, like <laughs> there's no mistakes in business. There's only lessons. No, right? there's only no mistakes, only lessons learned, sometimes very expensive lessons learned. Yes. That's for damn sure. I suppose the bigger the mistake, the bigger the learning, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're all about this messaging and communication with your existing clients and customer base, and I'm all about that too now. Tell me what the last communication that you sent out, the last direct mailer that you sent out or the last email that you sent out to your clients looks like or says, because so many people are always like, what the hell do I say in this? You know, I'm just a painting company. I'm just a roofing company. What the hell do I have to tell my customers? Because there's nothing exciting about it. You have a damage on your roof. We fix it. You know, you want your house to be a different color. We paint it. What what are you sending out there? Because you have to be doing this stuff consistently And I know it's a struggle. I mean, I've got a small marketing team behind me. If you follow me, you know I know a lot about marketing. And I will say it's a struggle to consistently keep up fresh new marketing messages and content out there. What do you guys do and what do you send out there? Can you give us some examples on that? Yeah, of course. So one thing that I've learned in marketing, and uh, like I said, marketing I love, and I I could talk about marketing for hours and hours. We won't. But so there is two types of ways to market. And look, 
there's probably hundreds of ways to market. So what I'll explain what I mean. So you pay an external consultant, a web a web person to build a website and run some pay-per-click ads, which we do pretty heavily, or you employ people to do it. So both are a cost. And you know, if you're not tracking the cost of your own internal team, you're not getting a true reflection on your marketing costs. So I believe, and maybe not right now, but let's go back in the early days of pay-per-click marketing, when I could buy an electrical lead for $15. And I don't know what we're paying now. It's considerably more. (laughs) The glory days, the glory days. And then I look at labor costs and reaching out to our existing customer and maintaining a database and everything. You know, a lot of people say it's 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 cheaper to, to bring back an existing customer. But for us, it wasn't quite the case. And so, you know, now I believe that it's the only way we're going to maintain our 30% per annum growth or, or is by uh, bringing like back to, existing like customers to, to talk about that my growth strategy for Omega when I've got some stuff we can share if we get time it's look problem with what we do is and I don't have the statistics but my marketing team has just built a really elaborate plan which gives some information that I haven't even seen yet most people need a plumber every, say, three years. Most people need an electrician every four or five years. Air conditioning, I'm not too sure. So if that's the case, what are you doing to actually get that customer to use you more often? Because if we relied on customers only using us every three years, we'd always need to be bringing in new customers, and we do. So I feel I don't think there's anything more powerful than having multiple trades when it comes to existing customers and the way you communicate so email you might reach 20 percent of your customers and we've done our newsletters and let's look at our newsletters for instance which is your question you don't want to be bombarding them with sales messages all the time so we do newsletters that are talking about the company some of the things and you know the newsletters i feel the newsletters we do are very it's about people because we're dealing with people and and our staff. So we'll share some information on new team members. We just celebrated a 30-year anniversary for for the company. We did a big thing. We shared that with all of our customers. And look, the fact that we've been around for 30 years means that we're an established company. We're obviously doing something right. And that goes a long way with a lot of our existing customers, especially when it comes to warranties. We do a lifetime warranty on our labor here. So, you know, if you've used us 15 years ago and you call us in for something that's not right, we'll go and look at it. And if it was a problem with the workmanship, we'll warrant that. So we let our customers know that sort of stuff as well. So just be careful if you're if you're sending regular communication. The communication you do to your service agreement members should be different to what you're doing to just your regular members. Try to make them feel special. And we'll look, we throw some fun stuff in there. We might do some uh, cooking tips or something. But the newsletters, the communication can't be all sales. Although we tend to, when we're quiet, we tend to throw sales related stuff out there. But you've got to, you've got to try to resist that. I've always said marketing when you're, you're at your busiest, and this is this is a bit of a contradiction that very rarely most contractors do. When you're at your busiest is when you should be marketing 
marketing most aggressively because most of the marketing activities we do today are going to be generating work maybe next week, the week after, or maybe a month after. And right now we're quiet. So all the marketing activities we're doing are going to make us busier when it's busy. So it's a uh, most, I know in the US you have some wilder weather and, you know, you've got some extreme winters and some crazy summers. We are based in Sydney. So if I was to look at a modeling, a successful company in the US, I'd probably look at companies more around Los Angeles and San Diego, San Francisco, would be very similar climate to Sydney. I know you guys uh, down Florida, you got some pretty crazy weather down there but we get the hurricanes you get the hurricanes and i don't know if your listeners have heard of a place called cairns or north queensland they get a lot of really crazy shit ass weather like you do in florida and it's a lot hotter there as well so your communication to your customers it's got to be sociable you've got to be you've got to let them know that you have services and products that will meet their needs they might have some frustration about you know gurgling drains or they might have light switches that are flickering their air conditioning system might not be delivering consistently cold or warm temperature in certain rooms so you've got to reach the trigger points of your customers and hopefully match a product or service that alleviates a frustration yeah absolutely you said a lot there so one thing i heard was you've got an in-house marketing team yes yeah, so you're, you've brought that in-house. I'm I'm a firm believer of that, and that's kind of the whole reason why I started doing this home pro success thing. A lot of people try to outsource the marketing, and the reality is is that your best stuff comes from in-house. It's just stuff that you can't you can't outsource. You know, if you see any of my Facebook video ads or anything that I run for my company, you know, it's me out there on a project or someone on my team. You just can't outsource that. You know, actually setting it up in the Facebook ads is just such a small small, small bit of it, the actual meat and potatoes, what makes it work is the organic content going out there and you can't outsource it. So yeah, I'm, I'm on the same boat with you. You kind of really need to you know, have somebody on your team that learns all that stuff yourself. And then you're talking about consistently having the messages and just a very small bit of sales. And I know one thing that you kind of touched on that a lot of people do is everyone's like, I'm slow this week. What do I do? Do I drop my prices? Do I send out, you know, do you have an email I can send out to get, you know, some more business? Can we drop a Facebook ad? And the reality is, is a lot of times there's nothing you can do for that instant spike. But if you've been consistently sending, you know, the marketing messages, like we do a lot of email marketing now in my company, we have a weekly email, which has been doing great. And we're, we're a little bit behind on that, or I shouldn't say we're behind on it, but I should have been doing this before. I guess that ties into something else you said. So I'll keep going here and then we'll go back. Yes, we do. So we do the email. It's non-sales, non-sales, non-sales. And then when it comes time to, you know, actually pick up and get a boost in sales, like we did this right around Thanksgiving, the Black Friday, that whole conundrum there between and you guys probably have this too. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's this period where nobody really wants to spend any money on home services. You know, at least we experience that because everyone wants to well, the priorities on Christmas and the family. So there's always this big lull from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We know this every year. So this year we've been doing the email marketing and because the audience is warm, they've been getting our emailed content. Now we can drop a, you know, a promotional type of email basically saying, hey, we did it for a free upgrade on the screen mesh. Hey, here's a free upgrade. We Black Friday special kind of positioned it as that. So many people took it. Now, how do we just send that out to everybody in our customer list or, you know, estimate list is what we did. We couldn't send that to our past customers because 
some people would probably be disappointed that they didn't, you know, that they didn't wait another month and get this email. But everybody that was in the estimate queue from the last six months that hadn't actually gone ahead, we sent it to them and they'd been getting other emails. It worked out quite well. If they hadn't been getting any other emails, if we suddenly out of the blue slap them with boom, you know, here's this promotional email, we probably would have got nothing on it. So you really have to keep that dialogue very minimal, keep the open dialogue and keep it going, but then also be very minimal on the actual sales stuff. And well, you mentioned talking about your staff and all that in there. We do a lot of with our featured projects, we'll take our project photos, pile them together into a blog post or email community involvement. If you're listening to one of my most recent episodes with Tom Loposki of Lopco Contracting, but they do a lot of community involvement, putting that stuff into your content that you're consistently getting out to people. So it's not salesy, but you're there, you're front of mind, and they just don't forget who you are. And that sounds like what you're up to and what you're seeing is working for you down there. Yeah, so that really, it's a really good subject, really good topic. And for anyone that's a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, he's got a great book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And I think that's a book or he talks about that. So that's exactly what you're saying. And that's what I believe is right. And we don't all do that, you know, like I have to say that, yeah, I've had a marketing team now, I think, for 10 years, but we got clever a couple of years ago and it was partly due to the fact I used to have my daughter in my marketing team and and she decided to, uh, you know, she spent a couple of years with us and she was phenomenal as a marketer. She decided to venture out and become an Infusionsoft trainer, start her own business and we had a few change in staff and I actually lost the knowledge. Still had some good people there, but I didn't really have the strength in that marketing team. We finally got it back now. And and I talk about this a lot. It's the people. And we've now got a phenomenal marketing manager and he's got a good team around him. So we'll start to see some big things come from that. But definitely, Corey, in-house, depending on the size you're at, you know, if we're you know, if, if some of the podcast or Facebook Live listeners are smaller operations, I always recommend, you know, you might just be a couple of trucks and uh, you haven't got the resources for a marketing department. Look for someone that has got the marketing skills and is maybe able to take some phone calls or do some dispatching. That's how you actually would kick off. And look, as a smaller operation the owner tends to wear many hats, right? So marketing manager, general manager, sales manager might be the hat you wear. And you may find that you're heavily involved in the marketing and you have someone, a really good right-hand person that can help you with uh, getting content out and uh, doing stuff. So yeah. Yeah, man, that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. But we're kind of running out of time here. We're almost, I think, an hour into this. So On that note, let's kind of wrap it up. Alan, how can anybody get in touch with you, man, if they want to get in touch with you? You know, what are you up to? Where should we send people? Okay, look, I'm on Facebook and I'm I'm happy to connect with anyone that wants to reach out to me and just Alan Ferguson. (laughs) Put a link to your Facebook page. Put a link to your Facebook page in the show notes. Sydney, Australia, that'd be good. My email works well, Alan, A-L-L-A-N at omegaservices.com.au. And I'm, look, I'm all about helping the industry. And so I'm happy anyone that reaches out to me, I can't promise I'll come back to you immediately, but at some point I will. And so do we have a minute just for me to talk about that growth strategy that I said I'd share with you? And look, I love to talk about, you know, some of the things that I've done 
that have helped me over the years. So growth, in my opinion, Corey, needs to be a process. And so a company, if you want to grow your business or 10x your business, say uh, over the next 10 years, you need to focus on monthly growth, compounded. So if you want to grow your business, say, double every three years or so, you need to focus on 2% growth. And that is all you need to do to actually uh, double your business every three years and you'll 10x your business in 10 years. So if you're a little bit more aggressive and you want to grow a little bit more, 2.5% a month will actually help you get there. And so if you focus on compounded growth, at 2.5% per month, you will actually double your business every 2.9 years and it takes nine years to grow to 10x your business. And if you're more aggressive and you've got the marketing machine running and everything's good, 3% per month will actually, it works out to about 35% per annum and you will actually double your business every 2.5 years and it takes 7.5 years to grow to 10x. Power of compounding returns. Compounding returns. And I feel, I don't think enough businesses out there are taking growth as serious as they should be. And uh, when you when you do it monthly, compound it, it's phenomenal. And that's how we've probably, it's not the only reason we do, we actually get off our ass and do shit as well. But we have grown consistently now for the last 14 years. And, you know, our business is on track to hit 100 million in 2023. And it's all about compounded growth. So yeah, hope that helps. Um, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's it. And I think that's something we don't do is we really don't break it down and say, hey, you know, how much are we growing this month? And uh, look at that. Most of us just kind of look at it annually and say, well, how much did we grow this year? I think there's a lot to be said for kind of breaking it down there each month. And when you kind of look at it in terms of just 2.7% per month, then it kind of makes things more tangible and really gives you an actual benchmark to touch. Growth has to be a process just like profit and just like everything else. And, you know, I did, I think it was not last year, the year before I did a talk at Service World Expo and I came in to the room after Mike Aguilera. I don't know if you've come across Mike. Yeah, I'm familiar with Mike. Yeah. So he warmed the room up nicely for me. And, and look, I spent the, my talk was basically about business growth and some of the processes you need to grow. And look, there's so many other things that I am keen to connect with you again, Corey. And yeah, I thank you for... Uh, yeah, man, we'll have to have you back on the show here for sure. Yeah, it's always great to actually share some of the things that I've learned over the years with, with other like-minded contractors. Awesome, man. Absolutely. So, Alan, man, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate your time, my friend. You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.